I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. I hope you're all enjoying the week. There's been another Celtics victory. But before we get into that, I'm joined by my homies, my guys. The three-man weave is in full effect. Mr. Will Weir and Mr. Greg Manakis coming for your dome. What's going on, guys? What's good, brother? I'm happy to be here. We are snowed in here in Austin, Texas. Um, so I'm a school teacher. I, I teach high school English. So I got a, I got a snow day, man. I got to tell you, being a teacher, snow day, just as good, maybe not, maybe even better than being a student with a snow day. It's been pretty sweet. Just been laying around all day, <laughs> chilling, making content, uh, watching a lot of Criminal Minds. I made a butt about like, 25 well i didn't make them my girlfriend made them shout out danielle made about 25 mini waffles and uh just been eating waffles all day all right that's a pretty good yeah texas snow day let's go three-man weave on a texas snow day kind of hard to beat that you guys you guys using a waffle maker for these mini waffles or, or what's the what's the process looking like uh it's like literally a, a mini waffle maker that's about this big so like the size yeah. of this microphone like not very big at all so like we have to make one waffle at a time <laughs> But like pretty much as Danielle was making each waffle, she would like put it on the plate and then I would eat that waffle. So like I, I was probably like one waffle ahead of the waffle maker. It's like it's like giving a dog treats to like reward them. And what are we it's talking? We're talking chocolate chip. We're talking blueberry. What we're talking? Man, she was going to put bananas in those waffles, but it was just a straight up waffle. We had some um, like maple syrup from yeah. Vermont, maybe. I, I forget. Like when her aunt sent her some maple syrup from somewhere dope. So we were, man, I, I probably had about 10 to 11 mini waffles throughout the day. It's pretty great. It's flexing, dude. Dude's yeah, flexing right? on them. I still had to work. I mean, it's a snow day out here, but I still had to work. Yeah, you see, I thought schools were going to be working too. I thought, like, you know, the modern era, we're going to be, if you're, uh, if, you, if you're off on a snow day, then all of a sudden everybody's just working virtually. Is that not the you case? Would, you would think. Um, the school that I work at, the kids, like, don't really have um, a lot of money normally, so they don't have access to technology at their home. So we, we, we would like to, ideally. I'm sure there are some schools that did that but everyone needs mental health days man like this is a built-in mental not a, a not a scheduled uh mental health day and it's been great it's been great for me so i think that the good thing that's for my mental health is i woke up to a celtics victory i think that's where my mental health took a real good uh upturn i'll let you take that one will yeah man i mean it's a three-game win streak you know we've matched our longest win streak of the year like it's hard not to be you know in a good mental health place with this team it's you know, one of the first times all year that we've had a, you know, extended streak of, of health with our best players. And, you know, last night, I think you could argue potentially was the best win of the season. I know there's other games where they've they've beat Phoenix, Milwaukee, um, you know, Miami to start the season. But this is a game that, you know, kind of has some momentum. And it feels a lot like when the Celtics have gotten to that, like, precipice of, of momentum, something happens. Something's a game that you feel they should have won and they don't win. And last night was was them going up against a team basically at full strength. That's their counterpart. They're equal. That's right in that, you know, play and mix with them. And the East itself is just crazy tight. And uh, and they took care of business. And, you know, it was a game where it wasn't Jason Tatum going for 50 or Jalen Brown going for 40 plus. It was, you know, the parts around them that 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 really stepped up. And so having a true team victory like that, I'm in a really good place right now with this team. 
Yeah, for sure. Shout out Auntie Helen. I, I also like how the last time Auntie Helen hopped on a live stream, y'all two were just completely thrown off. But you learn <laughs> <laughs> now we, we see Auntie Helen just tunes in every time we go live. So uh, shout out to you. She says that she was helping with the coaching. Uh, you know, we've needed help with the coaching, but I think Ime, maybe it was you, Auntie Helen. Did a really good job helping out with the coaching. The she's night. really good at rotation. She's really yeah. good at divvying up the minutes. It's it's actually I've always said it's her specialty. She keeps yelling like, "Don't play Schroeder more than fifteen minutes. Keep him under 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, even that's probably too much. I think any more than three minutes is too much Schroeder. <laughs> Come yeah, on, he, Adam. He's, wow. he's, he's he's had a rough stretch, but let's let's stay let's stay focused on the positives here, man. Let's stay focused on the positives. Hopefully, we don't have to talk about Dennis Schroeder too much longer. You know. But I, yeah, I, I was I, mean, I was awesome. super happy with the with the game last night. Um, to me, when you play against a team like the Hornets, the most important guy on the team is Robert Williams, just because of, of that elite athleticism. Um, and he he made a difference. He didn't dominate as much as I thought he would dominate, but he still had one heck of a game. Um, and then Marcus Smart has just been continued continuing to play probably the best basketball of his career. Um, especially as a lead guard and as a point guard. So shout out to Marcus. But I know the guy that we really want to talk about is uh, our guy, Josh Richardson. I mean, the title of the episode is the three man weave loves Jay Rich. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that it's quite obvious that I'm going to be uh, waxing lyrical about Mr. Josh Richardson at some point today. Beforehand, can we all just take a moment to appreciate how good the mellow ball is? He's awesome. Like, Absolutely. He's so good, dude. Like, so much fun to watch. So technically gifted. Like, his body mechanics, his pace. Like, watching that dude is just ultra fun. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy the contests between the Celtics and, and the Hornets, man. I think these two teams would go at each other's jugular. And, uh, yeah, it, it would be hard to get this matchup in the playoffs right now. I mean, like I said, the East is super close. Maybe it could work out, but I would love you know, a, a playoff series with us getting to watch LaMelo in those type of moments. And then for the Celtics and Hornets, when you think about the storylines, when you mix in Rozier and Hayward and all that type of stuff, like that would be a really, really fun competitive series. Um, but yeah, LaMelo, every time I watch him, and, and honestly, I, I did not think coming into the draft a year ago, I was not super high on, on LaMelo. It, it felt like at least from like what I had seen of him, you know, in the Australian league and just watching clips, like, it felt like it was it was all flash and not as much substance, but you know this dude is on another level. The vision that he has at times is it, it's like how did he see that? You know what I mean? Like he makes you have those type of moments where you just shake your head and you're like, I don't know what else we could have done. Like that was a pass that only a handful of guys can can see that type of pass. You know what I really like about Lamelo? I think his vision, like everyone knows, he's one of the most unreal passers we've ever seen. And it's crazy when you said he just came into the league last year. Here I am thinking like, what year is he in? It's like he, he's in his year second two. year. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. That's crazy. But what, what I love about him is his ability to not jump vertically, but he jumps horizontally and he covers so much distance. Yeah. And he, like, he never gets to like a super high vertical peak, but he gets high enough and then he can just glide for mm -hmm. a long time in the air. And I think that's an, uh, such an underrated skill. And he takes off some, from like really um, kind of like unexpected spots on the floor yeah. because he can jump so long. That's one of the things that I really enjoy about him. And then when you juxtapose his game and his IQ against pretty much anybody on the Celtics, you're just like, man, LaMelo Ball's IQ <laughs> is like 10 out of 10. And I don't know, like maybe Marcus Smart probably has like the highest IQ on the team. Robert Williams is pretty high up there. Al Horford's high up there. But I don't think any of them are even in the same stratosphere as LaMelo Ball IQ-wise. No, LaMelo's like ridiculously fun to watch, dude. Like I really enjoy watching the guy. 
There's one thing that gets me um a little bit in the feels watching them is how they get to lean on Terry to close out games. And when you've been looking for a clutch guy in the Celtics, like you're like, man, I, I've been big on Terry for a while. I think he had a down year in his second year with Charlotte, but he's kind of bounced back. He looked like he could get anywhere he wanted on the floor yesterday. What I did like was um, Udoka in the post games when they were asking like, oh, you kept going, like you had an eight man rotation. You kept finding open shots. What did you do? He was like, well, when you've got a team that switches like Charlotte, but they're not very good at it, it's easy to take advantage. Is <laughs> like, he not going to be a little bit more humble? Hey, like, brutal honesty, man. I mean, he, is, yeah. is he wrong? You know, like, no, uh, you know, one of, one of my favorite plays last night was we got Jason Tatum on the free throw line with Terry Rozier on him, like towards the end of the game. Like I will take that matchup every single time down the stretch, you know? So there's some truth to what he may say, some brutal truth to what he may say. Maybe yeah, it's interesting with the, the Hornets like defense too, because They've got some some people that really make it difficult for guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like Kelly Oubre is a real problem on the defensive end. He kind of like has JB's number a little bit. If I felt like he was in JB's head last night. And then Bridges, you know, he's just an athletic freak. Um, Rozier's tough. Lamelo's long. They've got all these guys that like can impact you defensively, but just like this, I don't know what it is. If it's the strategy or if they don't communicate well. It does seem like you can get pretty much whatever you want, whenever you want. And this fact, the Celtics, Adam, you know, this is my big number, the total passes number, 330 passes for the Celtics last night, resulting in 31 assists. You know, and part of that is the shots are going down. But like, again, against the Hornets, you know, that that switches a lot. You got to move the ball. Um, and then when you have the advantage in ISO situations, you got to take advantage of that. And that's what the Celtics did down the stretch. So that's what I think Josh Richardson done a great job of. Like he he was basically using like Robert Williams, Jalen, Jason. He was using all of their scoring gravity to manufacture opportunities for himself, right? So there was a play where um, he set a ghost screen, a, a back screen, sorry, for Rob Williams. Rob didn't even use the screen, but he short rolled into the paint to get a pass and then went to redirect it to the corner. And like, I think like three defenders loaded up on Rob on the weak side. Actually, it was two on the weak side and then one coming from the rear view to kill that corner pass, right? Soon as Richardson saw that happen, he saw them, the, the Hornets load up. He just popped out to the three because he knew everyone was too busy trying to stop that corner swing. Rob just throws it out to Richardson, easy bucket. And I think that was like what for me, like that's what the Celtics have been doing well for like, not even just against the Hornets but like the last three or four games right like they've been attacking when they've been forcing defensive load ups or overloads kind of sometimes it's kind of like an overreaction right you move the ball enough some guys feet get stuck in the mud before you know it they're overreacting to a pass into the paint and then you've just got a wide open pass back out to the to the corner or the wing and I think that's what Boston has been doing a really great job of rather than just kind of drive it into the paint kick it to the opposite corner they've been forcing defensive load ups and then they've got their pick of like two or three guys that they can hit. And then you start seeing the ball swing backwards and forwards while these, while everyone's scrambling to close out. Yeah. When it, when it comes to Josh Richardson, you know, obviously I think last night the, the six for eight from three is, is, is obviously gonna, gonna stand out when you look at the box score. And right now he's shooting a career high 41% for three, but the simplest thing Josh Richardson does that I, I think makes the, the team just flow and, and work so much better. Just his ability to cut just constantly cutting and cutting at the right moments and in the right places. And it, it just keeps the offense from, from getting stagnant. And I think we've seen that quite a bit this season where, you know, there, there's been times where you just get either Jalen or, or, 
or Jason, I'm not trying to necessarily call them out because it could be anyone that it's, it's just kind of flowing through a one-on-one type setting. And even when we get mismatched mismatches, sometimes we just stop. Like that's the play. Like, like we've accomplished our goal. And Josh Richardson is the guy that will kind of keep it moving, keep that cut going to your point, Adam, draw the defense away, create overloads, create mismatches. And so just that very simple element of him being a, a guy that knows how and when to cut, I think makes a massive difference with him on the court. Yeah, and I think with Jay Rich, like he's never gonna shoot the way that he shot like that maybe ever again. Like he was just money last time. I mean, he at one <laughs> he point he too. looked he looked at his hand. He was like, "What's going on tonight?" He did you know, the sh- jack. <laughs> yeah, he did. The, he did the shack. And um, you know, with Richardson, it was really nice to see him have such a great game because he's been awesome for the Celtics in his role all season. And he wasn't great over the past like three weeks. He was kind of struggling. He had his first real stretch where I was like, man, like, is it time to start playing Neesmith? Is it time to start playing Romeo? Like, should we move off of Jay Rich? And Will and I were actually having a conversation earlier and we were talking about the the whole Jalen Brown, you know, potentially requesting a trade, which I don't think is, is anything we need to be worried about right now. But like, if the Celtics want to, be the best team that they can possibly be this year and next year. I think Josh Richardson is one of the guys that is very, very integral to what we're trying to accomplish. I think like with him and Grant Williams as the sixth man and seventh man off the bench, I think that's a pretty solid top seven. And if we can figure out a way to get eight and nine in there or even bump them down a number so that Richardson's the seventh man, Grant Williams is the eighth man. I think that would do wonders for this team. And that's where the trade discussions come into play. Um, but I, I just love what Richardson brings to the table. And even last night in that one play, um, I forget who it was that he blocked, um, but the the announcers thought that Rob Williams had got the block. And then they look, they watched the replay back and they're like, oh, that was actually Josh Richardson who, who had the block at the rim. And that's one of the things with Richardson that I love is his on-ball defense and his ability to affect shots at the rim. I just think he, he's very underrated as a perimeter defender and a basket protector when he's guarding in isolation. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why he's so valuable, right? As a trade chip, especially. If you look at the teams that have been rumored to be interested, like you saw the Utah Jazz get brought up into a conversation on uh, like two days ago. Yesterday, it was the Minnesota Timberwolves. These are teams that need wing defense, and that's exactly what Richardson's going to give you. But he's also going to give you a bit of that ball handling that we've seen him do where you can trust him to run a few pick and rolls on offense. He's going to give you the scoring from free, from mid-range. I get it. You're probably right. It's not going to be many games he has where he's that cash. You know, I mean, this dude single-handedly outscored the Charlotte Hornets bench last night. Single-handedly. And this is the same guy that Minnesota were like, yeah, we we don't want him. You know what I mean? And they were going to get him and Romeo. Do you know how upset I would have been if they gave away Romeo Langford as filler? Personally, that would have <laughs> it would have insulted me. It would have been an attack on you, Adam. Yeah, that's a personal attack on me, dude. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley, I think, uh, you know, you want to bring a flamethrower in. He's a good option. But for Romeo, dude. Okay. Come on. I mean, come on. I'm joking. Also, I'm joking can, can, can we constantly call him Malik Beasley and Malik Monk? Because I think that actually sounds way cooler. Malik. Malik. <laughs> it's, sometimes I'll just like say it like in English and it'll just be like Malik. But, <laughs> but now, nah, dude, I, I mean, like when I, when you look at what Richardson brung last night, what he's brung throughout the last couple of games, I, I, I think he's kind of definitely restored some of that value because I felt like he'd built up some, some cachet. And then he had that rough stretch and that cachet yeah. started to dip again. Keith Smith had a really good point when he was on the podcast earlier in a few um, weeks back where he was like, when teams are looking at Richardson, 
they're not looking at the last few months. They're being like, hey, you've been bad for two years. You know what I mean? You've been underperforming for two years. Okay, you're, you're performing well now, but is that just because you're in a situation that really works for you? And I think that holding on to Richardson at least to the end of the season, so you look back and you're like, he had a solid year. It wasn't just a couple of months. It's a full season of good production under his belt. I think you could get something valuable back. I think if you move him now, teams are still going to look at it as it's such a small sample size of impactful play that we that I don't know that they'd be willing to give up far less. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but but I could see the inverse of that being true as well to the point of you know let's let's take advantage of him shooting forty percent from three. He's a career you know thirty four thirty five percent you know, three-point shooter. I know he has another year attached to that contract, but to your point of, you know, teams needing wings, there's there's one thing teams are, are really never running out of is enough wings when you're getting to that elite level of going up against the guys where you need to throw multiple bodies at them and give them multiple looks. You want to have those guys. And, you know, when a guy like Josh Richardson is on an $11, $12 million contract, that's kind of in that range of where you can fit multiple versions. So, you know, I think it's really tough. I think he's one of the more interesting guys for the Celtics at the trade deadline because if we move him and it's for the right price, I think I can can live with it. But also, if he's still on this team, like to Greg's point, I think he also helped gives us a very good chance to to be competitive and to win right now, and we have him into next year. So I wouldn't be upset by any means if, if he's still on this team post the deadline. But I do think it's going to be very fascinating as you see Joe Ingles go down, you see guys like Derek Jones for the for the Bulls go down. All of these type of, you know, extra wing wing players go down for these competitive teams and to see, you know, as we get closer as we're a week out as we're recording will be maybe a less than a week when you're listening to this if you listen to the podcast. And, you know, maybe people are feeling the pressure to go ahead and make a move and maybe now they'll overpay. You know, but to your point, they could also look at it the way Keith, Keith brought it up, that they're looking at two years of evidence versus, you know, two months or two and a half months, whatever it is. If you're going to move on from Richardson, you've got to be aware that that means there's going to be wing ball handling duties off the bench that become available, right? And you've got to be willing then to put Romeo or Neesmith into a position where you're going to help them develop that area of their game. Because one of the most impactful parts of, what Richardson's been doing is when Jalen or Jason go to the bench, you don't lose that that ball handling on the wing. You don't lose that playmaking. You get a lesser version of it, sure. The talent drop-off is real, but that's because you're going from an all-star to a star in their role. Do you know what I mean? So the, the difference is always going to be noticeable. But if you remove that, I think that's been a core aspect of what Udoka's like to do. You know, they come up down the court, they'll run wide or whatever it may be, and... Richardson's usually one of the guys receiving the rock. So for him not to, for Richardson not to be there, you need to put more trust into another wing. And I just don't feel like one, unless you're bringing back a Luke Kennard type guy in a deal, who's who Cleveland originally, Cleveland, sorry, the Clippers originally traded for because he could shoot and play make a little bit. Unless you're bringing one of those guys back, I don't really know what you're going to be able to get from this because I feel like you're going, Udoka's not going to put the young guys in that position. And does that mean he has to change his scheme a little bit to fit just a straight up spot, spot up or movement shooter? How does that change the way the game has been flowing recently? Um, so with uh, with Richardson, you know, what I like about him is that he has he has. <laughs> Sorry, he has, um, you know, defensive chops. And with somebody like Luke Kennard, I wouldn't mind bringing him onto the team because he does have that 
offensive bag that I don't think anybody on the Celtics bench has right now, especially with his ability to shoot. Um, but <laughs> but I think with uh, with Kennard, like he's just not a great defender. And I think with Ime, you're going to need someone, whoever we trade for, it needs to have that edge where they can hold their own on the defensive end. And you know, you guys know I'm not a huge Norm Powell guy, but if we brought Norm Powell onto the team, you know, he at least is very tough. You know, he'll fight. And Luke Kennard, I haven't really seen that dog in him. And I think that's what I love about Josh Richardson is no one can say Josh Richardson is not a dog. That dude will fight and he'll go into the mud with you. Um, so, you know, with, with in my opinion, if we're going to move on from Richardson, we have to be bringing somebody back that also has the toughness that he has. And that's hard, right? It's hard to get the production plus that toughness value. I mean, there's only a handful of guys in the league that are giving you legitimate impact for production as along with that dog mentality. Yeah. And, you know, those guys are usually coveted by championship level teams or championship contending teams because of how valuable that mixture of skill sets is. And I think that, like, if you want Norman Powell, by all means, you know, I'm on that Norman Powell train. I personally feel like I kind of pushed that train to begin with. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take credit for it for the rest of the month. Uh, until then, until I stop taking credit for it, I'm completely in with that. But I do think that that defensive dog mentality is rare. So is the way Josh Richardson carries himself. Like this dude is just straight up. Like he's called, he's jovial is the way I explain him. Like, you know, just a, a dude you could go and get a beer with and not get into trouble. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just down to have a good time. There's like, you see a lot of NBA players, like, you know, they're either super serious or super laid back. Josh Richardson seems to be in this really cool kind of, I know my job's the best job in the world and I'm not really going to rub it in your face, but I'm going to let you know that I'm living my best life. Like I can live with that dude. So um, hey, real quick, fun fact about Josh Richardson. So usually I watch the uh, NBC sports broadcast, which I still watched last night, but I did it through league pass instead of the NBC sports app. Cause every once in a while, I kind of like to check in with league pass cause they'll show instead of commercials, they'll kind of show the, the in-game arena and like what's going on with the crowd and stuff like that. So found out from watching this, uh, fun fact about Josh Richardson, he actually plays the classical piano. Yeah, that's the Josh Richardson fun fact right there. Fun that's Jalen Brown produces some music. I'm sure, uh, who, do you, who do you think would be the best singer on the team? You gotta guess. That's a good question. I feel like it'd be Marcus Smart. He's definitely got the biggest pair of lungs. <laughs> He's just used to yelling. A little <laughs> <laughs> ah, that is a good question. I don't know, man. It's but continue. I, 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 I digress, man. I, I got you off your point about Josh Richardson. What, what, what else you got Next time we have a player you? on this, next time we bring a player on the, on the show, uh, we'll definitely have to find out who's got the best singing voice. I know uh, <laughs> I, can, I can probably try and make that happen because it needs to. We need to find out who the best singing, but we got to find out all the hidden talents. Yeah, all the hidden talents. I want to know if Marcus Smart does Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, man. Because when I saw him wrestling with cancer during the bubble, I, freedom, sorry, he had some good moves, man. He had some transitions. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he does train MMA a little bit. I, I think for me, another one I'd like to know is who is the best mu musician in terms of. Who's the best drummer? Like I, I feel like 
Grant Williams plays the drums. I don't Grant's know got, why. Grant, Grant's got some type of, of musical background, right? Like, I don't know what it's going to be, but th- th- I feel like he's going to have some, like, sneaky instrument that, that he plays. I'm not quite sure what, but it feels like it's there with him. I, 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 my yeah. bet would be JB. I feel like JB, because I know he plays the piano and he produces a little bit, so that he, I'd have my money on JB, just, like, putting out some bangers for sure. I'd be very happy if we could figure out who plays the drums, who plays the guitar. Yeah, what if uh, what if Schroeder's like a German DJ? That's oh, I could see that. 100%. Yeah, right. You could see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most Germans I've uh, I've encountered have all been very big fans of like DJ techno, drum and bass, liquid house, all that stuff. It's very it's DJ like that. Dennis. DJ Dennis. <laughs> DJ Dennis. I never pass. I always shoot. <laughs> Okay, we've got too far off topic. Let's get back. Let's go back. <laughs> oh, we're terrible. Uh, yeah, so I think we spoke enough about Jay Rich. What I do want to know is we spoke about Norman Parr. We spoke about um, Luke Kennard. One thing I keep telling everybody that I speak to, like I have some people DM me the other day, like, oh, how do you feel about the shooting situation? Buddy healed Norman Parr. I'm like, dude, one of the better shooters that was available we lost out on because we had to use them to facilitate trading away Watcher. And that was Brent Forbes. And you I feel like Brent Forbes. because he's just, he does his job. He hits his freeze dude consistently. He's not going to give you anything else. He's a, he's a single skill player. And you know, my opinion on single skill guys during the regular season versus the postseason. but mm. look how attra- so- attainable he was. But my, my thing with him, though, is like if he's a single skilled player, which is what we're looking at, like Peyton Pritchard is a single skilled player who's kind of undersized, like would Ime even play him? You yeah, know, and it, this is the too. thing, right? Like just the thing Peyton. is, I think, I think, yeah, that, and that's the thing, right? But I don't think Peyton's a single skilled guy because Peyton can beat you off the dribble. A little well, bit. Yeah, he, he's he definitely got a little you. bit. And he can he go can pick and roll a little bit. But he, I mean, and Peyton Pritchard will guard. He'll at least guard full court. Brent Forbes can't guard anybody. Yeah, you're just bringing Brent Forbes in like eight minutes a game, running him over screens, just hitting him on the curl and just letting him shoot two off between two and four threes a night and, you know, a quick six to nine points, depending on how hot he is at the time. But that's some, like that six to nine or like, you know, two or four, three or four is a huge difference from one or four that we're seeing other guys get or zero or zero because they're not even seeing the court. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, I feel- I, but I I hear you, man. But I think with like, because he was so attainable, right? And like we easily could have acquired him onto our roster. That's got to tell you about what, how they saw him fitting in with this mix, right? So like if 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 we wanted Bryn Forbes, we could have had him, but Ime or Brad was probably just like, he just doesn't fit the philosophy that we're going for right now. So what I would imagine is that they hopefully holding out their chips for somebody who can shoot, maybe not quite as good as Bryn Forbes, but also can do at least one other thing on the basketball court. And, um, you know, your guy, Norm Powell, definitely a guy that could do that. Doug McDermott, Doug McDermott, you know, who's six, eight, he's a big guy. So Brent Forbes is like six, three, so just like somebody else that the Celtics could bring on that could offer that shooting skill set that like just offers a little bit more on the defensive end or a little bit more of a playmaking vibe too. Yeah, I mean, for me, Forbes is just like it's shooting on the super thin side of the margins. And I and I yeah. think that's part of what 
potentially Brad Stevens is, is tr- trying to figure out, you know, we talked about this last time, Adam, like the crossroads that Brad Stevens is at right now. And, you know, what is the vision for this team to be on track? Like, are we trying to stay under the tax and worry about the off season for, for more roster construction? Is it moving guys and giving more time for development? Is it on the fly retooling or reshaping, you know, what the role players are around the Jays in season, but also doing so with, you know, we mentioned a lot of guys like Luke Kennard and Norm Powell that have contracts that go well beyond this year. And so that's a move for the present and the future. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Bryn Forbes would have been that, that smaller move. And, and I think it just, you know, to the points that we're all making, I think it, I don't think he would have seen a significant amount of playing time. It just wasn't a move that, made enough sense when you could just play Peyton Pritchard is, is what it ultimately comes down to. But it's the same thing about Nismith, right? Like this is the same, it's the same argument. You've got a guy that's supposedly one of the better movement shooters in his draft class, one of the better movement shooters um, under the age of what, 23, say 24. What? Mm-hmm. And he's not getting any run. And now everybody's seeing in clank shots and they're looking at like, oh, maybe it was recency bias that he was drafted because he had those good few games before getting injured and he'd struggled in his first season in college. There's people saying that he was never a great shooter to begin with. And all these different opinions are surfacing now because the dude's struggling. And I get it. You know, people probably never looked into his scoring numbers beyond those that 14-game sample size until this season when he's really struggling. But I think that until you give that guy rhythm, like... If you watched the press conference yesterday with Josh Richardson and Josh Richardson's saying the NBA is a big confidence league, it's a momentum-based league. If you don't have the confidence in the momentum, shots generally generally do not fall. And that's exactly where Neesmith finds himself right now. So everyone's scrambling, looking for a shooter, but they're not going to give the young shooter that's cost-controlled under contract for the next another two seasons, I think it may be after this one, no one's giving him any run to see whether or not he's actually worthwhile. And that to me is just insane because it's like saying, to, I've never drove this car, but I don't think it's going to work very well, so I'm just going to go out and buy a new one. Like, dude, like, it's just it's that mentality to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and with, you know, if, if we want to go into this little Neesmith tangent here, like um, with, with Neesmith... If he gets traded, which I think it's it's a likelihood he's going to get moved, not maybe this trade deadline, but I don't know that he's ever really going to get his shot on this roster. I hope he does, but if he doesn't, I think Neesmith is a guy that will pretty quickly learn within the first like six months what this time with the Celtics was. You know, was it just he, we, that 14-game sample size at Vandy and we just all figured out that he was this amazing shooter and he really wasn't, or did he just not get the opportunity in Boston? And you know, with, with him, the one thing that I want to see more of is when he's in the game is just give run more actions for him because we don't run enough actions for him. He's just, he, he just stands in the corner and spots up when we've seen that he can be a two to three level scorer, especially with his ability to drive closeouts and attack gaps at 45 cuts and like finish off the glass, which I think he's done a really good job of. And then he can just make an impact with his with his energy, as we all know, as Crash Neesmith. Um, but. I think with um you know with with him moving forward, I just want to see either the Celtics give him a chance, give him an opportunity, give him a rotation spot, or we give him an opportunity elsewhere by shipping him out. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys a lot about the the circumstances for for Neesmith, but I do think this part that has to fall just on the player. Like you have to earn some of these minutes. Like when you're in there, like if you're supposed to be a shooter, I get they might not be like the the shots that you're used to, but 
he gets a lot when, when the times when he does play, which are small, small amounts of minutes. Like you can go look at his stats. They're all either open or wide open shots. And he's shooting like 20%. Like for a guy that's supposed to be a shooter. Like I, I can't, I can't really fault Ime too much for, for not giving him more time when you're trying to, you know, satisfy like the, like the podcast talks a couple of days ago with the, the article about Jalen, like you're trying to make sure that these guys feel supported and that they're going to, you know, be tracking towards, you know, getting out of the play and be moving towards getting back into the proper discussion of a, of a top, top six seed. And the times that you are in there and you're clanking, you know, wide open shots and all you're bringing is, is energy, which is something it's not nothing. It's something. And, and we've seen him have a couple moments where that energy has been the injection needed to, to turn the moment or turn a game. But, you know, for a guy who was the 14th pick the last year, we just talked about LaMelo Ball was in that same draft. Like, obviously, there's valleys of difference between their impact. But, you know, Neesmith is just not giving you enough. And so this part that I think has to fall on, on Neesmith as well, even though I know the, the circumstances play a role. Yeah, I mean, part of that as well is, like, he was raw. This is, like, if you look at what LaMelo went through, LaMelo was playing professional-level basketball in Australia, which whether or not people view it as a, a competitive league, is still far more physical, league. yeah, far more physical and probably more polished than what he would have played against in the college in college leagues. And then he he was healthy. Neesmith played fourteen games, thirteen games of his final season, and then sat out the rest of the year. So then coming in, not really understanding as much about the technical side of things, you know, figuring out your your systems, your schemes, the the difference in terminology. And then just as he figures it out, there's a new coach that comes in and a lot of the players have said, you know, he may come in with a whole new bunch of te- terminology. What you call a back screen, he might call a rip screen. You know what I mean? And there's a bit of a difference between the two. I'm just using it as an example. But you have to relearn the terminology and that takes a while because you're so ingrained in the way Brad was calling out plays, the way Brad, you know, and now all of a sudden you've got Ime calling it a completely different thing. It's like me giving you a hat and saying, wear this bonnet. You know, be like, what's a bonnet? But it's the same thing, right? It's just like, it's just the difference, dude. And I think that plays a big part, especially for a raw guy that's still trying to find his way and find his role within the team. So I think there's, there's been a lot of mitigating factors for him. Uh, I just want to see him get given some run, especially like, you know, it's too late at this point. The trade deadline's a week away at the time of recording this. So the opportunity to really see what was under the hood with Neesmith has kind of been and gone. Now I'm in the now I'm in the mindset of if you're trading for a shooter, especially if it's a Norman Powell that's locked in for like another 4.5 years at this point, you might as well move on from Neesmith and incorporate him as part of the deal because he's just going to fall further down the pecking line and never really get that opportunity. As we, I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts on this uh, or what your pulse is. You know, as we're now about a week out or so. What do you think Brad Stevens in this front office are going to do? Do you think we're going to lean towards moving some guys to develop young guys? Are we going to kind of stand pat or are we going to, you know, move the Schroeders, the the Richardsons, the Horfords, the everyone maybe outside of the core four and, and, and retool? Like what's your uh, like what's your gut right now that you guys think of, of how the situation will play out? I don't think we're going to do a lot. I think it's going to be definitely on the margins. I am hoping that Schroeder gets moved. I really am. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't, my gut feeling is man, that we're going to keep the top seven and then Schroeder and is going to be moved for maybe some draft capital and then maybe some other move on the fringe. But 
I, I like what we've seen with the with the top seven so far. Top seven being our starting five, Grant and Jay Rich. And, you know, we haven't been healthy. We just haven't been healthy all season long. We're finally healthy and we're starting to see that the Celtics can actually be a competent basketball team and a good basketball team when they are healthy. So, like, you know, it, it stinks because the trade deadline is a week away versus I mean, a month away. I would love to have a little bit larger of a sample size with this healthy roster but what they've shown me in especially in a, an eastern conference where it seems like it's a little bit open right now like even the the top teams i feel like we could beat any of the top teams in in, in a series like no one's really playing amazing basketball right now the phoenix suns yes they're playing amazing basketball right now the golden state warriors yes they're playing amazing basketball right now but nobody in the east i'm scared of honestly like I, I, I would not like to run into Giannis. I would not like to run into Kevin Durant. But outside of that, I think all the other guy, all the other teams in the East, I like our top end talent if we figure it out against them, especially with the level of defense that we've been playing lately. All we got to do is just figure out a way to hit a few more shots every game and to score down the stretch. And I think we'll be all right. I think the defense has been the from like so the defense has been fantastic in terms of the collective. But they're still get they're still getting destroyed in transition, and they're still allowing people to penetrate. Like if you go back and watch that Hornets game during the first quarter, Lamelo and Rozier were just getting into the teeth of the defense at will. So I think that's another part of it as well, because good defensive possessions bleed into great offensive possessions. You know, again, it's that momentum and confidence thing. You get stops, your shots seem to fall. Brad Stevens used to say, when you do the right things, good things seem to kind of come come back to you. And it's definitely true, especially with this Celtics team. You know, they if they get a couple of um, possessions where they don't get stops and a team scores on them, their offense seems to really take that hit. So another part of that to me is just figuring out how to shore up the areas of your defense where you're struggling right now. So transition and perimeter. Now they're using Rob on the perimeter a bunch and that's helping a lot. I think that Rob's switchability 135 has been like one of the more understated developments of the season because he's not biting on everything anymore. So you, he's a valuable, he's a viable, probably is a better word. He's a viable option when defending the perimeter. Marcus Smart, again, is awesome at defending the perimeter, but they're using him more to co- create uh, defend mismatches in the post because of that switching scheme. So I feel like just if they do make another move beyond the shooter, another def- another defensive-minded wing or guard that isn't like a specialist, you know, they can still score, but they can hold their own on the perimeter would be valuable. And that's one of the reasons why I think since Richardson's been moved into the closing lineup, Boston have been able to hang with teams a little bit more down, down the stretch because they've got that extra defensive presence on the perimeter. So, so what is that? So that's, so you're thinking that they're going to stand pat or like which, which, which avenue do you think that's, that's leading? Yeah, I kind of went the longest way around. I was, I was trying to like peel back yeah. the, the curtain a little bit. Like, I think I can follow what he's saying, but I'm not sure with which path. Might, <laughs> yes, but what I was down. saying was I, I weren't even looking if they were standing pat. I was looking more along the lines of what I'd want to see if they didn't get a scorer. Uh, but ideally I want them to, I want them to move Schroeder and stand pat beyond that. That's my ideal, you know, just move on from Schroeder. I don't think one of the shooters that we, that are being thrown around in trade discussions generally are available for what the Celtics are going to be willing to give up. Move Schroeder. If you can get somebody back, ideally have it as a defensive guy because there's not a shooter available just for Schroeder. Mm-hmm. And, and then just stamp at that was pretty much what I was doing, but I was just going to really long way about it. No, and that's kind of where I thought you were getting to, and that's, 
prop I think that honestly feels more and more likely. I said this to Greg earlier is like, you know, all of these moves that we're talking about and, you know, with, with all of these shooters, all of these different, uh, you know, salaries that can be moved out. Like, I think there's almost zero chance Rob Williams or Marcus Smart get moved. So I think that core four, just, just put them in the back of my, I don't think there's almost any chance that they get moved in the next week unless something just crazy happens. And the rest of it just gets real complicated. And to your point, Adam, I don't know that all the people that we're talking about from Harrison Barnes, Norm Powell, Luke Kennard, you know, whoever else it might be. Like, I, I just feel like the Celtics are going to have, if, if it's really the Celtics versus a lot of other teams, like a lot of other teams are just going to have a better package, most likely, depending on, you know, what they're looking for. And so with that, you know, I think a lot of the trade deadline is going to be about moving Schroeder, getting a little bit of value, staying under the tax and remaining mobile when it comes to the off season and what you can do with those TPEs, what you can do uh, if you keep all your draft picks and maybe add a second round pick or, you know, or if you can get lucky enough to add some type of protected first round pick and what that opens up, that does feel more and more like that's going to be the case than it is that we see, you know, three new guys in the main seven, eight rotation a week from now. Yeah, and I'm still holding out hope for my my Portland idea. I've 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 adjusted it <laughs> for you guys. No more CJ in the deal. Too much money. A Norm lot Powell's money in the deal CJ. instead. So Nurkic and Norm Powell send out Al Horford for make the contracts work and the young guys. And let's make that let's make that happen. Because if if we end up with, you know, we get rid of Horford, we slide Grant into the starting five. Nurkic coming off the bench along with Jay Rich and Powell. Like that's a pretty nice top eight right there. Um, yeah. And then you can you know move Schroeder off for a pick, whether to facilitate that deal or to get further draft cap, future draft capital. Um, so that's still the deal that I'm like keeping my fingers crossed. I, like I really want to happen, um, and I think that would help the Celtics in a lot of different um, parts of their roster that they're they're kind of weak in right now. Because I don't want to see another Enos Freedom minute ever, um, even <laughs> even in crunch time. And I think if we can bring in uh, a backup center, a true backup center, then then we'll be we'll be in a yeah, much better position. Honestly, anytime I think of a move that involves Al Horford, that's the only thing I think about. And because if there's usually not like another center coming back in the deal with yours, obviously Nurkic comes back. But you know, with other deals, it's where there's like Al Horford going out. There's not centers coming back, and I'm like, oh my god, that means that's all that's left is Rob Williams and Freedom. And I don't think my heart, my head, I don't think any part of my body can take that. Who would you want though? Like, if you could, like, there's a world where you could just waive freedom and pick up a big man off waivers. There's still be bigs that gets waived, and there's going to be free agent bigs that are going to give you more than what freedom does anyway. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any names off the top of my head. I mean, I'll play center over freedom. I'm sure I could be just as valuable. (laughs) Well, I just saw this as like you know. I mean, rumors are coming out left and right here. Um, but I did see, you know, the Wizards are kind of going through it right now, and I don't know yeah. what they're looking for, but I saw Montrez Harrell. He fits into one of our TPEs, so this isn't necessarily a free agent signing. But if you move Horford in one deal for salary purposes, but with the TPE, you can utilize that and bring in. I've always been a big fan of Montrez Harrell. You know, I've, I've, I always thought he was way bigger than he was when he was at Louisville, but I think he was just that much more athletic than everyone on the court, so he seemed bigger. Um, What's that? Louisville. You want to go to Louisville? I do. <laughs> you just want to come to the U.S. Doesn't matter where. Just get on the plane. <laughs> no, but will with, tre- with Trez, Detroit, bro, not Detroit. <laughs> with Trez, like, yeah, I, I would like to have Trez on the team. Um, he doesn't really help in terms of de- defense or anything like that. He's purely an offensive player, just because he's undersized. He can rebound, um, so we can yeah. give him that. Got that energy. 
Yeah, and with him, I feel like he would be one of those guys that just adds like a little bit of dog onto the team. Um, I would like I would like him there for that. I don't know how much of an impact he like truly has on a team's chemistry, though. You know, he didn't really do anything for the Lakers. He hasn't done anything for the Wizards. The Wizards are falling apart right now. So like, who who knows, man? Um, but if you put him on this roster, get him in some pick and rolls with uh, if we keep Schroeder or whoever it is that he ends up running pick and rolls with, he's a great, you know, him and Lou Williams was an amazing combination. Uh, so, you know, him and him and Peyton Pritchard might be a good combination. Who knows? It's just another weapon that you can have. And I would rather have Trez than Enos Freedom. Yeah, that, that that's more the point I was making is if, is if Al goes out, I'm just terrified that we're left with with uh, only Freedom to back up Rob. That's that's like a nightmare. I just don't want to see Freedom play for Boston anymore. Adam, like, Adam, Adam, Adam Taylor like, hates Freedom. That's that's what <laughs> that's what people are getting from uh, from this podcast. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I, I love my. Well, freedom. you're better than those bad freedom puns. You're better than that. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like, for me, it's like two years ago when he was here, I, I could see value. Do you know what I mean? He was better on the boards. He was better finishing. He, his hands were bad then, but they were better than what they are now. I just don't see what value he brings anymore. He, and I don't think his heart's in basketball at the moment. And it, you know where he's placed his heart. You know, um, is probably for better causes. It's definitely. Um, better for him and well, how can I word this? It's definitely a better cause than basketball, what he's trying to achieve. But his heart's just not in basketball anymore. At least that's how it seems when he's playing. Like you can see, he's kind of thinking up his next tweet as he's playing, and uh, like so, it's just kind of like, dude, please sit on the bench and just continue to do your drafts. Okay, I think we're gonna wrap it up there because we've gone off topic quite a few times, and now I'm going into tweet composition, and I'm very bad for that myself. So. If you've enjoyed this show, I have no idea why you would have because it was completely and utterly wild. Um, <laughs> make sure to leave that five-star written review. The nice things you say make us all smile. If you don't make us smile, apparently we're making each other smile. So, you know, we can live. If you're not using a device that lets you leave a five-star written review. Disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the just rather be creative than stressing my wages ageless every time I lay a verse down one play at a time keep it moving like a first down and at the end of the day I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major still he chased greatness expected that he might fail and I might too I might never get to pop champagne celebrating with the